Welcome to a brand new episode of Wandering Off, the Vanderbilt Career Center podcast on all things professional development, in partnership with Vanderbilt Student Media. I am your host, Jacqueline Grogan, and in today's episode, I sit down with Director of Undergraduate Studies for the Department of Political Science and Director of Pre-Law Advising for all of the colleges at Vanderbilt University, Professor Carrie Russell. And she comes into the studio to talk all things law school, becoming an attorney, and taking the time you need to figure out what your purpose is. So why don't we just start off with who you are and what your relationship is to Vanderbilt. My name is Carrie Archie Russell, and I am the Director of Undergraduate Studies for the Department of Political Science and the Director of Pre-Law Advising for all of the schools at Vanderbilt University. Could you elaborate on what those jobs entail in this community? So the DUS, Director of Undergraduate Studies position, means that I am the liaison between the students and the professors. I am charged with putting together our course schedule and making sure that when students have issues that they feel like need to be addressed with the faculty, um, that I'm available to listen and to uh, try to mediate. And I'm also the liaison between the department and the dean's office when it comes to all things undergrad. Mm And then for director of pre-law advising, I am the resource on campus for any student that is interested in applying to law school or Mm -hmm. talking about what it's like to be a lawyer, Mm -hmm. what a legal career could mean for that individual student, and to, um, again, be the liaison between all of the law schools and our students and try to help um, guide students towards making the right decision about going to law school in the first place, and then if they decide they do want to go, when they should apply Mm -hmm. and where they should apply and trying to create good um, matches between the different law schools and our students um, so that the students can succeed and and be their best wherever they decide to land. So this podcast is called Wandering Off, and it's about professional development, but it's also about this concept of wandering off and how it's inherent to your professional development, to anyone's professional development, that, you know, you tend to wander from point A to point B, and there is no really straight shot, even with those more tried and true pre-professional tracks, that we end up in different places than we anticipated, and your life goes in, in different directions. And I'm wondering if you could talk to how you ended up where you are today, and, and what life before that looked like? Sure. I definitely wandered off. Um, (laughs) I went to Rhodes College in Memphis, Mm -hmm. which is a small liberal arts institution, um, and I majored in uh, political science with a focus on um, political philosophy and political theory. And when I was a college student, I also worked with um, an organization called the Appalachian Service Project, which was um, and still is a nonprofit entity that um, serves communities in deep rural Appalachia where there's a serious need for better housing conditions. Mm -hmm. And as I was working as um, a volunteer when I was in high school and then a staff member when I was in college, I saw the need of 
um, this particular community being intimately tied to lack of education, lack of opportunity, lack of roads, lack Mm -hmm. of infrastructure, and um, started to try to connect the dots in terms of law and society and how, how best to help individual community members and recognizing that maybe the best way to help would be to try to petition on their behalf and be a representative sure. of, of, um, of people in our country that have for so long been left behind. So that, mm-hmm. that experience and growing up in um, the region of the Appalachian Mountains definitely helped inform my decision to apply to law school mm-hmm. and to go to my state school, um, the University of Tennessee, after I graduated from Rhodes. One of my uncles was an attorney, but uh, that's it as far as our immediate family mm-hmm. is concerned. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I didn't have a whole lot of guidance with regard to what law school would be like, what it would be like to be a practicing attorney. And so in hindsight, I wish I had wandered off after college (laughs) and taken some time to really explore the world in a way that you can only do when you're in your early 20s and not bound to family and mortgage Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. all of the other responsibilities that you start to acquire as an adult. But I enjoyed parts of law school. Law school is not for the faint of heart. It's very competitive. It's um, a whole different skill set that you have to develop. And nobody, if you're not told that before you go, it can be kind of shocking. Right, I would imagine. So yeah, so I finished law school and um, secured a judicial clerkship here in Nashville. And uh, I was nervous about coming to Nashville. It was a big city (laughs) to me. And um, I was lucky to work with a uh, an outspoken feminist who um, really prioritized helping women work their way up mm-hmm. through the legal profession, and and she helped me in many ways develop professionally and personally. And one night she said, "Carrie, I can't go teach my paralegal class." She would teach a paralegal class one night a week. Mm -hmm. And she asked me to um, be her substitute teacher. And I did. And I loved it. And the following semester, I signed up to teach classes for Southeastern Paralegal Academy. Mm -hmm. And I really started to soul search about whether or not I wanted to pursue litigation as a career, Mm -hmm. or perhaps um, go back to the dream that I had articulated in high school. One of my high school teachers reminded me that I said at the time that I wanted to be a constitutional law professor. And so, yeah, Yeah. so So, I, yeah, (laughs) it was kind of crazy. So I got the opportunity, um, to uh, apply to, to different PhD programs around the country and, mm-hmm. um, and got a great offer from Vanderbilt, ironically enough, mm-hmm. and, and I took it. And so in 2004, I had uh, worked as an attorney from 2000 to 2004, and then I enrolled in the PhD program in political science here. And um, the rest has been incredibly fortuitous. Mm-hmm. And being in the right place at the right time, which I think is a theme that everybody should recognize, is often one of the most important variables in your uh, destiny. Sure. And um, yeah, so uh, I've been teaching for Vanderbilt since 2011, mm-hmm. and um, and I love this place, and I love the students, and I love my colleagues, and I'm. Um, living the dream of being a constitutional law professor, yeah. which is awesome. I'm particularly fascinated by the juncture of your life when you decided to go to law school 
especially with little to no points of reference with the exception of an attorney uncle, what was that process like? Or was it not a process at all and much more instinctive and immediate as a decision? I have always enjoyed reading and writing Mm -hmm. and felt like my strongest academic skill set was being able to express myself through the written medium. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And although I have over the years become much more comfortable speaking extemporaneously Mm -hmm. and performing in front of a classroom of students, um, my first love has always been books and, and trying to express my own opinions through writing. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that lawyers spent a lot of their time reading and writing Mm -hmm. and reading case law and trying to understand the arc of different areas of law, different public policies Mm -hmm. through the catalog of cases that Mm -hmm. have, you know, been um, what guides our public policy since the founding of our country. And so I thought that that would be a good fit for Mm -hmm. me as far as what I would want to do and how I would make a living. My father was always um, insistent that I had to be able to support myself, which was really, uh, looking back on it, um, kind of uh, interesting for a dad in the 1980s mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. to mandate that I be able to um, go to college and, and find a job right, to where right. I would have to be able to take care of myself. And, and I'm so glad he did. And mm-hmm. I'm so lucky that I had him to push me. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a lot of ways, it was a push out of the nest, knowing that I was going to have to pay back um, school loans. Sure. And and that the one track I thought that I might be good at would be through the law. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I really wish that I had spent some more time in the real world traveling, mm-hmm, exploring, mm-hmm. maybe teaching little kids, um, right. doing some other things that would solidify and really put that destination of law school in concrete for me instead right. of it, me just kind of falling into it. Sure. Um, and I, and that's one thing that I really encourage our students to do is to take that time off. Most law schools really emphasize and prioritize candidates for application that have done that, mm-hmm. that have um, taken the step away from undergraduate education where, you know, your schedule is very much dictated to mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. as far as the time you must dedicate to studies and and to see what it's like to have to pay bills and to yeah. have an employer and to be with coworkers in whatever field right. you think might be of interest to you. So that, that's always my first piece of advice mm-hmm. to students who are thinking about going to law school is to seriously consider taking, you know, what in the parlance of our times we call a gap, gap year. year. Sure. That is, that is a major relief as someone who is on the fence about pre-law that taking that time is not only okay but also encouraged in a lot of communities and academic institutions because I feel at least within the group of people that I talk to that are also on the fence or or deeply considering it that there is this weirdly implicit pressure to go right into it so as to not miss out on anything which I think is interesting that this concept of FOMO like fear of missing out is also a large player, even in our professional world. So it's 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 a relief personally to hear that. I think if you miss out on anything, it's missing out on your opportunities as a young person. Right, right. Um, 
And that's what you should fear leaving behind mm-hmm. is the opportunity to really grow and mature because you have the rest of your life to be a grown up. You mm-hmm. have the rest of your life <laughs> to pay a mortgage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, the window of time that you have to be on your own and carefree is very, very short. Yeah. Um, and so I think most adults and most lawyers and most judges who have taken the time in between undergraduate and law school are incredibly glad they did. And Mm -hmm. the ones that didn't, like myself, really wish they had Mm -hmm. for multiple reasons. Mm -hmm. It'll just make you a more mature student, Mm -hmm. too. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in law school, outside of the top three schools, Harvard, Yale, Stanford, your class rank matters more than the rank of the institution you attend. Mm -hmm. And so do lots of other variables um, that you'll have to think about seriously or you should think about seriously before you go, like what kind of law do you want to practice? Where mm-hmm. in the country or where in the world do you see yourself practicing law? Because mm-hmm. a lot of communities prioritize students that go to their home state school, mm-hmm. um, even if their home state school is ranked number 50 and the student went to number 25, mm-hmm. if you have ties to your home state, it's going to get you in, in the door in the way that, you know, going to a private school or a school in another state might not open those doors for you. It'll also, that time away, make you appreciate being a student mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. Um, and make you work harder. Yeah. You know, a lot of the students that come straight from undergrad expect that this is just going to be another three-year continuum Mm -hmm. of their college experience and they treat it that way Mm -hmm. and you know as I always tell my students lawyers are notorious drug addicts and alcoholics (laughs) and and a lot of that is indoctrinated in you as a law student Mm -hmm. Um, the the persistent partying because you're young and um, and if you can be a little more mature than your classmates and treat it more like a job that's going to set you up for success in a way that um, that you really can't quantify Mm -hmm. and um, and a lot of that has to do with taking that break from Mm -hmm. undergrad and and realizing that um, that what you're about to endeavor that journey is one that literally requires so much hard work and dedication if your goal is to be at the top of your class. Yeah. Wow. You are a pre-law advisor here. You went to law school, clerked, practiced. I'm curious to know if you've observed any misconceptions or preconceived notions birthed by pre-law students or just the general public on law school and being a lawyer in general and what the truth behind those misconceptions really are. I think the happiest lawyers are the ones that are pursuing their profession because they they love it and they love um, the reading and writing and they love the interaction with clients and they see it as a problem-solving profession. I think the unhappiest lawyers are the ones that really just went straight in because they didn't know what else to do with mm-hmm. themselves. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, when you talk to attorneys that say, you know, don't do it, don't go to law school, most of them didn't do the hard thinking on the front end. Mm-hmm. I really think that's true. Yeah. I think that if you know why you're doing it, if you can articulate the reason, and the reason can be that you're good at reading and writing and you want to make a lot of money and this seems the most appropriate path, mm-hmm. then then own it. Mm-hmm. But then know that that's why you're doing it. You're doing it to work hard to make money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If your passion is to, you know, help 
children or protect the Constitution, then then think about it long and hard. What's the best way that you can get there and mm-hmm. and keep that at the forefront of your of your mind when you're studying for these tests that are really mm-hmm. hard? Because um, if you do that, then you'll know why you're there and 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 be able to say out loud why you went and why it's going to be worth it. Mm-hmm. A lot of students don't realize that the professors there. <laughs> They're there to guide you through the cases, uh-huh. but they're not going to teach you anything. Right. Law school is um, three years of you teaching yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you can't teach yourself, yeah, <laughs> um, then you're going to be lost. This mm-hmm. is It's not an experience where somebody holds your hand and gives you opportunities to succeed. You mm-hmm. actually have to do all of that on your own. Mm-hmm. And um, which requires a lot of self-discipline. Right. And so if you're not a self-disciplined person, it's also not a path that would be for you. So students that are thinking about going to law school should know that, that it's on them to do Mm -hmm. well. It's on them to learn the material. It's on them to do the reading that the professors just basically there to stand up front and ask you questions Mm -hmm. that will hopefully inform your legal analysis. But they may not. Right. And then once you graduate, again, it's on you to study for your state bar exam and to learn the material and to pass it. And it's on you to find your job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's a lot easier if you have done all of that deep thinking on the front end than do it while you're swimming upstream trying to figure out what this mysterious education um, is all about. Mm -hmm. And for people who are on the fence about going to law school, those that are really passionate about law and, and politics and policy, but are, are hesitant about, you know, actually be becoming an attorney. Are there other avenues for them to go down that don't involve, you know, getting your JD? Sure. I, I think it's really wise to think about what your dream job would be and Google it. Yeah. <laughs> and and see what the educational background of the people that hold your dream job mm-hmm. is. And if their educational background is a Bachelor of Arts in philosophy, mm-hmm. then just know that you can get where you want to go that route. Mm-hmm. If it's a master's in public policy, follow that route. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you see that most of the people that are doing the work that you want to do have a law degree, then, you know, use your critical thinking skills Mm -hmm. and and connect the dots and and understand that most people who are advocating on behalf of the downtrodden in our criminal justice system Mm -hmm. have law degrees. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that that's the the entrance fee that you pay to be part of that reform. Um, But you know, it, you don't have to pursue a law degree. But I also, on on the flip side, I think that it's a very valuable and very flexible degree. Mm-hmm. I would encourage, you know, anybody that that has done the deep thinking, the hard question asking on the front end, mm-hmm. and come to the conclusion that they should go, then go. Um, even though it's really hard, even though right. um, the competition will be stiff, because it's it's a body of knowledge that that sets you apart from a majority of Americans. Mm-hmm. And it's a body of knowledge that helps you understand how laws are made, how they're applied. It gives you a leg up whenever you're negotiating for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that you have that JD behind your name mm-hmm. 
and the fact that you know what the law is. Even if you never practice, you'll be able to answer questions for your mom and dad as they're thinking about their will or answer questions for your little brother that's always getting in trouble with the cops or, you know, you'll, and and particularly for women Mm -hmm. (laughs) and other communities that, um, that have traditionally been subjected to uh, disproportionate um, subjugation. Mm -hmm. If you have that law degree, you know that you don't have to put up with a whole bunch of crap that Mm -hmm. society throws out of out at you just assuming that you are uneducated and don't know what your rights are. Mm -hmm. And you can be on the front lines of reform if you choose to take that mantle up. And so um, there's a law school for everybody, even if you bomb the LSAT, even if you graduate from Vanderbilt with a 2.5, there will be somewhere that takes you. And they don't, you know, once you graduate from law school, if you have the hustle, you can do whatever you want to do. Um, which is another beautiful aspect of of the degree, is how you can use it to do your own bidding. Mm-hmm. How do you even begin to ask those questions on the front end, as you were saying? I know this is kind of like a, a meta question, like how do you ask questions? But I think for a lot of us, or for myself and the people I've talked to, you know, it's very easy to get caught up in, you know, oh, law school is the right way or, you know, the tried and true way. Um, and this is what I'm supposed to be doing and this is what I need to do, as opposed to thinking about what you had touched upon, which is, is this something that I, I truly want to do? Is this uh, something, you know, that I'd be willing to not only with uh, go through and withstand, but also enjoy coming out of it? Um, so... I guess with all of that said, I'm curious to know as an advisor, how to critically and thoughtfully ask these questions so that you're not yielding the best results, but um, really thinking about it earnestly. Well, first, I want y'all to stop putting so much pressure on yourselves (laughs) because life is short. You could get hit by a bus tomorrow, Mm -hmm. right? We could all get swept up in a cyclone the day after that. Mm-hmm. go to a concert and get mowed down by an AK-47, mm-hmm. right? Those are all tangible realities in the life that we live. And so it's really important to live intentionally in this moment today and think about what do I want to do with my future? How do I want to spend my time? What will make me feel fulfilled as a human being? Because also a reality of living in a capitalist country is you got to pay your bills and you got to figure out a way to support yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and the majority of us spend more time at work than we spend with our families. And so you need to choose some type of path and vocation, something that calls to you that isn't going to make you miserable. You know, people that are miserable in their jobs, that's really sad because Mm -hmm. that's the majority of their life, Mm -hmm. (laughs) their lifetime. And if they get hit by a bus tomorrow, then that sucks. Yeah. And so, you know, how do you ask the questions? You listen to that small, still voice in your soul when you're quiet, when you're unplugged from everything. And you think, when do I feel like I'm doing what? makes me happy (laughs) you know and if that's 
when you're playing guitar or if that's when you're teaching little kids to read or when you're out walking a trail pay attention to it right mm. that's 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 a clue from the universe that that's what you should be spending your time doing mm-hmm. and then figure out a way to make money at it yeah um or you can move to cuba <laughs> but um but just be honest with yourself so mm-hmm. many times we just surrender to the outside pressures of oh well everybody says that i need to do this right. and, and culture tells me that if i don't have this figure or this car or this six figure income then then I'm just not successful. And that's all a bunch of BS. Mm-hmm. What really matters is when you go to bed at night, do you feel like you're living what you're supposed to be living and, mm-hmm. and that the people who love you and depend on you and that you love and depend on are still there in your heart with you? But try to do that hard thinking on the front end and then and then map it out. What will it take for you to get there? And, and what will you have to sacrifice? And what will you get in return? You know, usually when you're honest with yourself and listen to your gut, you won't regret the path that you take, even if it even if it doesn't end up the way that you thought it would. And what I mean by honest with yourself is what are you good at and what do you enjoy doing? And what is it that you think would fulfill you as a human being um, with regard to how you'll spend the bulk of your life's time? Right. And so, you know, I don't want anybody to think that I'm telling you to just go be homeless right. because that's sure. not it's not going to make you happy either. Mm-hmm. You need to find some way to spend your life's time that will make you feel like you're in either just for yourself or for your kid or for your parents or for society at large that you are somehow contributing that you have a reason to get up in the morning and go. Mm-hmm. And if that is collecting garbage on Thursday mornings and you get up at 3.30 a.m. and you crank up that truck and you go do your job, that's flipping awesome because mm-hmm. you're keeping our community clean, mm-hmm. right? And you are contributing. Mm-hmm. And, and, that's, and, and we all need to contribute in some way, but it doesn't have to be you know, in Silicon Valley. It doesn't have to be in New York City. It can be in rural West Virginia making quilts, you yeah. know? I yeah. mean, if that's what makes your heart sing and makes you want to get up in the morning and know that you're doing something that is valuable, and as long as it's valuable to you, um, then then you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Yeah, that was abundantly helpful. Um, the last question we have is very off topic. Um, something I like to ask all of my uh, guests, which is to describe one wild or weird, unconventional story that you've had in a workplace setting. What immediately comes to mind is my life working for my judge as a recent law school graduate. It was a zoning case. And in that zoning case, we had <laughs> the underworld of Nashville, strip clubs and liquor stores, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, those owners coming and litigating against the city and bringing in expert witnesses um, and, and seeing this beautiful menagerie of humanity sitting in our staid courtroom 
and 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 it opening my eyes to the to how awesome Nashville is. Yeah. Um, how you can live here and let your freak flag fly. Yeah. And um, after that case was over, um, one of the clients who owned multiple um, gentlemen's uh, clubs mm-hmm. in town mm-hmm. um, sent me and the secretary flowers. Oh, <laughs> very gentlemanly of him. Yes. Um, and and in the note it said, thank you for always providing water bottles each morning of our case. <laughs> That's so nice. I know. I was Very like, unexpected. You're so thoughtful. Yeah. Um, wow. yeah, so that was kind of funny. And uh, But it was also like a great um, uh, week of litigation yeah. about uh, city zoning ordinances. And um, and so that, that was funny. And when we got the flowers, um, her name was Penny Hubble, and I adore her. Um, she's still working over there at the courthouse, and she and I both just looked at each other and laughed, and um, and so we're funny. pleasantly surprised to have gotten flowers. Yeah, um, chivalry isn't it dead; is. it's just I at know. the strip club. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, so that was great. Um, yeah, so that's 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 a favorite memory of mine, not necessarily a story to tell. No, that's was, great. great. That's that's a really good one. Yeah. I can only imagine what it was like to be in that courthouse. During it was that, awesome. That case. Yeah, the court. I mean, the courtroom was packed. That is with all of our nightlife um, provocateurs, and yeah. um, and on one side, and then all of the city council members and the people that Business draft our you know, yeah. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Oh my god. That's great. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Professor Russell. Thank you so much for for coming down here and providing all of your insight. I of really course. appreciate it. And y'all come see me during office hours. I'm happy to help you through the yes. process of thinking this through. Yes. Thank you. This has been Wandering Off. Thank you so much to Silas Dean for your intro-outro music. Thank you so much to Vanderbilt Student Media for all of your help and resources. I'm your host, Jacqueline Grogan. Tune in next time for a brand new episode of Wandering Off coming very soon. Until then, work hard, be kind, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much.